You remember Donald Duck? Yeah. Right? That, like that guy? Donald Duck, he had, he had three nephews. That's right. And they also had a very rich uncle, Scrooge McDuck. And he lived in the town of Duckburg, if you didn't know that. Um, Scrooge McDuck is like silly rich, right? Silly rich. And in the beginning of DuckTales, if you could think back with me watching it with your kids or maybe your grandkids, he had this big old vault, right? He opens the door and like right when you walk in, it's just like this platform that just moves all, like there aren't steps like that there would be here. Instead, it's just a diving board right in front of him. And in the show, what he often does, do, do you know what he does? He swims in like gold bullion and dollar bills and a lot of coins. Has anyone ever been hit with like a roll of quarters before? How hard is it to swim through money, you think? I've never been, I've never had so much money before that I got to swim in it. Um, here's, here's what a physicist has to say about it. We'll, we'll ask the experts about the, the credibility of such a claim. Presuming that McDuck could somehow maneuver himself deeper into the pile, his delicate duck bones would almost surely succumb to the crushing weight of the gold above him. By one estimation, diving under one of his five-foot-tall gold piles would weigh almost 2,500 pounds. And that would be on, on his little duck beak, right? The cartoon is, is saying that something that's really strong is actually really soft and that he's able to move through it, right? There are some things in this life that should certainly remain soft, like your bed should be soft. I have been gifted a sleep number bed, and my number is very, very soft in comparison to my wife's. Some things should remain strong, though, shouldn't they? If you're working on a car and it's on a jack stand, it's not gonna be a very nice thing if like, your jack stands start to crumble under the weight of your vehicle when you're underneath of it, right? Peter's presenting us in the tail end of his letter, he's asking the question, will we be soft or will we be strong? Will we be soft or will we be strong? And he gives us four reasons why when we go out to meet the world today and the rest of the week, why you and I can be strong in this life until the very, very end. If you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word with me? Starting in verse 6, reading through verse 14, this is what God says to us this morning. He says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, 
so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Did you know that God cares for you? Did you know that the mighty God who created the heavens and the earth cares for you? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. My Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She, the church who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, they send greetings and so does Mark, my own son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. We don't have to be soft like a sponge. We don't have to be porous, right? Instead, we can be stronger than steel. Whatever comes our way, whatever pressure we feel, Peter says that we can stand firm until the very end. And he gives us four reasons why, if you're taking notes, the, the, the care of the shepherd. That's one of the reasons why we can stand firm today. We can stand firm because our shepherd cares for us. Also because we're aware that we have an enemy. And this enemy craves us. The cravings of the enemy. See, the calling of the rescuer, what he's called us to, if we suffer with him, we will likewise be glorified with him. And finally, maybe most missed in the church today, the reason why we can stand firm and be strong is because of the companionship of other exiles. We need one another. Look with me at verse six though. We see the care of our shepherd. What's he say? He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. When we moved here, I was very excited to learn that there is also a Six Flags here. There was also one in Louisville, Kentucky. Allegedly, the one in Kentucky is better than the one here. I, I can't speak to that yet. I might, need, I might need your input on this. Like what are some of the best rides to ride, for example? But I remember growing up in my home, I'm one of two kids in my home and I'm the eldest and I'm also the tallest. My sister is about 4'11", and she has always, always, always been very much shorter than me. And so when we go to amusement parks or when we went to carnivals, I had the distinct privilege of being able to ride plenty of rides that my little sister couldn't ride. To this day, there are still some rides that she can't ride. 
because you have to be this tall to ride. Do you remember seeing those signs? You ever been kicked off one of those rides because you just weren't like, you, you, you didn't quite measure up? Or maybe there were some little kid rides that looked really cool, but you were just too tall for it? Peter is saying to experience the care of a mighty God, he says that you must be this tall to ride. He says that there's a place and there's a home for God's people. And it's under the mighty hand of God. This is a call back to the Exodus. And Peter loves calling us back to the Exodus. And this is a phrase that he keeps using over again from the very beginning in Exodus 3, when God calls Moses and says, I'm coming down so that I might with my strong right hand lift my people up out of Egypt. God loves flexing his might for his people. Our God is strong and powerful. You see it later on. God questions Israel in Exodus 33. Have you ever seen a God like me? You ever heard of a God like me who's willing to go toe-to-toe with any other God in Egypt's or Babylon's pantheon? No one is like me. That's why he calls out to them, reminding them, calling them to believe over and again to trust me. Remember what I've done with my mighty hand and outstretched arm. See, hand can be either an instrument of punishment or it can be an instrument of peace and provision and protection. For Egypt, because, because Pharaoh didn't let God's people go, he felt force. And God was willing to go to incredible lengths to rescue his people. God was willing to do violence for his people. Do you feel that? Pharaoh wasn't willing to submit and humble himself to God's rule. God broke the entire Egyptian army with an entire body of water. That's crazy, right? The Red Sea coming crashing down on an entire army. It's a place of punishment or it's an instrument of peace and protection. One of my favorite things now as a girl dad is my my girls are not afraid of my hand. When I get to cuddle with Lillian, when she's sitting on my lap and we're reading or playing silly, one one of my favorite things that she does, she takes my hand now and she pushes it up against her hand or face. It's one of the sweetest things on the planet. See, we don't have to be afraid of someone that's strong and mighty. Or Lillian, or, or Miriam, sometimes she'll like thrust her face in, into my hand and like we'll play around for a little bit and she'll like do some weird, crazy baby sounds. But they feel safe in dad's hands. 
And Peter's telling us to humble ourselves underneath the mighty hand of God. It's not because it's a threat, but this is the best place on earth for you and me to be. And under his mighty hand, he promises to exalt us. We get to that in just a little bit when we see the calling that he has for us. We don't just see his strength, though we see how he cares for us too. What else does he say? Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You and I, when we're met with the overwhelming pressure that life brings, whether it's work or relationships or your schedule is way too dense and you overcommit yourself, bills and loss. We see the sense of big anxiety creep up. Maybe you see it in your friends. Your friends certainly see it in you. So as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the one who cares for us, he says that we can cast all our anxieties. And this is a really weak word. Literally what he's saying is you can throw them to Jesus. It is a foolish endeavor for us to carry our own cares and worries. You are not strong enough to carry your cares and worries, but Jesus is. Some of the suffering that we go through in life is not because we are following Jesus faithfully, but rather is because we do not trust him. We do not trust that he cares for us or that we do not believe that he is strong enough for us. Especially in how we deal with anxiety. How you deal with your anxiety communicates what you believe to be true about him. We're willing to throw trash out and clean up our house. This is an invitation for us to come under the leadership of our chief shepherd, Jesus, who promises to make us lie down at green pastures and beside still waters to restore your soul. This is what Jesus wants for you. Don't carry your burden. How can you stay strong? It's not by being saddled by anxiety, but rather it's by going to a strong God. Notice next, though, there's a craving that your enemy has for you. Not all supernatural beings love you. We get the feel for this enemy, don't we? The adversary he's named, he's called the devil. And he's a little bit of a coward, if we're being honest. How does Peter describe him? He tells us to be sober-minded and watchful, but our adversary, the devil, he prowls around or he stalks around. He doesn't stay in one place. He doesn't always go to the one place where you're weak. He wants to expose and exploit every weakness that you have. 
but he doesn't come at you head on. He prowls around. He's, he's hiding in the shadows. He's on the boundary markers of your life. He's where you least expect him. C.S. Lewis said there are two equal and opposite errors in which our human race can fall into about devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally placed both by errors and hail in materialist or the magician with the same delight. In other words, he's saying we can either choose not to believe them or we give them way too much power. That song that we just sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, rightly confesses who we believe the devil to be. Our ancient foe seeks to cause us woe, friends. But the man of God, he's the one that's able to make us resist and push back and stand firm. That's what our response is supposed to be against him when he tempts, when he seeks to shake us apart. Here's a question then. How can we stand firm against someone that is more powerful than us? see buildings get toppled over by tidal waves. When the ground shakes, power goes out. Stores and towns shut down. Who are we to be able to topple him and resist him? How could we possibly do that? The secret to spiritual warfare in Peter's estimation, he's coming at this as an expert and especially as one that has lost battles against the evil one. Do you remember the night that Jesus was betrayed? He told Peter something Jesus did. He said, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. He's saying, I wanna, Satan wants to shake you in such a way that it destabilizes you away from trusting in me. Peter didn't stand firm. Peter was one of Jesus' apostles. Peter was one that performed miracles. Peter was the same dude that preached at Pentecost. Peter didn't stand firm, and he betrayed Jesus too. Why on planet earth do you think we would be able to do that, Peter, when you didn't stand firm? He says stand firm in the faith, though. You want to know how to be able to resist him when he wants to come and shake you and overwhelm you and topple you? We don't fight our battles alone. 
We can't fight them in our own strength. We don't wrestle lions on our own. Instead, we humble ourselves under the shepherd that is able to defend our souls against the one who went toe-to-toe with Satan himself and the world and all of its power and sin itself and dethrones it and defangs it so that you and I would have more than just a, a, a chance to stand against him, but that we can actually overcome. In the beginning of the year, we're going to walk through 1 John. One of my favorite passages, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, I believe. And he's commending both little children and young men. And he says, young men in the faith, you have overcome the evil one. Brother and sister, one of the reasons why you might fall to the same temptation over and again is because you have not humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God. Nor have you learned that you have the capacity in Christ to be able to overcome. And so it's a summons not only to walk with your shepherd, but to also walk in maturity. A friend of mine was being, uh, he's under this restoration process of learning how to give more and more of his heart over to Jesus and yielding to his rule and reign and learning how to crucify his desires. This kind of thing is not a solo adventure. He's a dedicated disciple that has had years of victory over pornography addiction. Stayed clear from porn almost continually for years. The only few times in which he strayed, though, was when he was alone and when he was under great pressure. See, Satan's a coward. He doesn't want to come anywhere near us. He wants to pick us off one by one when we're at our weakest and lowest. As an individual, he has to be responsible to be watchful and sober-minded and disciplined and aware of moments of weakness. And so then we run to our shepherd in those moments. When we're alone, we must resist the temptation to sneak a peek or have a critical mind or be angry for no good reason or run to a bottle to soothe our wounds. But it's a community effort too. He has a community of other men that fight with him as well. And his friends pray for him and ask him intentional questions about how he walks in forgiveness and faithfulness. The pain comes when we we resist for a while. Suffering does not feel good. That's why it's called that. Look at the calling of the rescuer. Verses 10 and 11. Peter's saying that we can suffer well 
Suffering well happens because we've been called or summoned to, to Christ's glory, meaning that we're, we're following Jesus as an upward call that he has for us to become more and more like him. And the way that it's written in the Bible is that it's not just a one-time event that you experience every now and then. It's not like your birthday that shows up once a year, right? Rather, this is an identity. This is vocation. This is now, since you have been called, this carries on for the rest of your life. This is who you are. As someone that's called to suffer and resist, you're also called, or your now vocation is to be caught up in what Christ wants to do inside of you and how he wants to change you. But suffering may not come just from being over anxious in this life. Some of you just might be dog tired. And some of you have walked with a shepherd for a really long time and you've grown up, but you're just tired of fighting sin some days. I hope I'm not the only one. Fighting my flesh and fighting temptation gets exhausting some days. And we don't need to live any under any illusions that just because he offers a way out doesn't mean that we don't have scars while we're following him. So Andrew Barton, he was a privateer. He was a, a, a pirate. And he made a ton of money by pillaging Portuguese ships. You heard the, 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 the ballad of Andrew Barton, though? Oh, I lay me down to bleed a while. Oh, I lay me down to bleed a while. I will rise and fight again. Wounds and bruises and scars, they come. And they will come because we follow Jesus. For Barton, there was a day when his day of fighting ceased and one day it will for you, but it will be all for the better. What does he say? And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, and he uses these words, they, they basically mean the same thing, but it's a crescendo. This is the high point. This is what you can expect. One day, he himself will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. This is what Jesus has for you. The suffering that you experience in this life is not, is not, is not all that Jesus has for you. The fight carries on. He hasn't abandoned you. He has us. And he'll get you through this. Here's the final thing, though. We can be strong because of the companionship of other fellow exiles. See at the end, verses 12 through 14, he introduces a whole bunch of other people at the tail end of this passage, doesn't he? You see Sylvanus, this is 
This is Peter's scribe. That's who's actually writing down, putting pen to paper. That's who's writing this stuff down right now. Gives a shout out to Mark, probably the gospel writer. And then he says, she who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen. It's likely now Peter is in Rome and serving in Rome and strengthening churches there. He's talking about the church in Rome. Heavy persecution hasn't yet come for the church in Asia Minor. If it's ever going to start somewhere, it's going to start in the heart of the empire. And he's encouraging brothers and sisters, yo, look, it might be tough for where you're at right now. You got other brothers and sisters that aren't far away and don't, that do have a deep understanding of what you're going through right now. But Jesus, who has called you, has also called them, and he's displaying faithfulness through them too. This is not, again, being strong is not a solo effort. It cannot be done without other people in your life that also follow Jesus, who are also called to his glory. We need one another. We draw confidence from Christ, but hearing the stories of Jesus' faithfulness bolster our confidence in Christ. Look at the last sentence, or the next to last sentence. If you ever wanted an application point, here it is. Are you ready to turn your, to your neighbor and, and give them a kiss? I'm joking. We're not doing that right now. What's he say, though? Greet one another with the kiss of love. They're supposed to greet each other, and literally he's talking about don't overstay your welcome. This is for short visits, though. Check in with one another. Love one another well. But the kiss created this sense of, of identity and focus that I don't go around just hugging strangers typically. That's kind of weird. In the first century, they didn't just kiss strangers, y'all. You would kiss members of your family, people that you were close with and close to. And it's sealed commitments that you would make with one another. There was a level of intimacy that the first century church had that sometimes the 21st century church just does not share. In many ways, when we look at this passage and we look at how the first century church loved one another and cared for one another, this is alien and very foreign to us. The first century church was willing to follow Jesus at the loss of life and at the loss of making money and being provided for and protected. And even sometimes following Jesus meant they don't get to have the same family that they grew up with because a family disowns them. So they need a new family to love. They need a new family that loves them and that's going to receive them. 
Peter's telling them to receive one another because in a culture like the first century, the only way, practically speaking, that the church was going to survive is that they leaned on one another like their lives depended upon it. Do you feel that? The family of God is constructed in such a way that I will not grow and I will not receive encouragement and I will not be challenged unless I have people that know my life and fed by the word and empowered by the spirit. Jesus so wants us to live with one another in such a way that our lives depended upon it instead of walking around on the fringes of fellowship here and feeling like we're estranged from one another and alien to one another. How do we do that then? do that by strengthening those soft parts of our hearts that desperately need the strength that comes from being in community with one another. I want to give you 15 or 20 seconds right now to think through people that you are in fellowship with on a regular basis here at HBC. 15 to 20 seconds and write down three to four names of people that you regularly meet with or lean into, or ask to pray for you, that you can share the deepest, darkest recesses of your heart with, and you know that they will not run away from you in shame. Can you do that? Take just a couple of moments. I'm watching the clock, I promise. Think through it. Do you have a couple names? If you do, I'm encouraged by that truly and deeply. I'd submit to you today that there are some that would be struggling to find people to lean on. If you would indulge me for a moment, would you, would you stand up, please? I know this is gonna feel really weird, folks. I know, if you're a guest with us today, this normally doesn't happen. I want you to take about 15 to 20 seconds and look around at people that are in this room right now. And I want you to ask several questions. Do I know their name? If I know their name, do I know their spouse's name? If I know their spouse's name, do I know their children's name? And I want you to ask the question, when was the last time you shared a meal with them? When was the last time you served alongside them? 
When was the last time you rode in a car with them? Do you know what their struggles were this week? Do you know if they have anyone that encourages them and pushes them to throw all of their anxiety upon Jesus? Do you know if anyone prays for them? Could we do that right now for for everyone in the room? Would you take a couple of moments and pray for each person that's in here? And mind you, this is just one service. We have another one that's going to be meeting in like an hour and a half or so, right? Would you take a moment and pray for your brothers and sisters that are a part of this body now? That someone, anyone, would be hospitable to them and be willing to challenge them and encourage them and point them to Jesus. Pray silently for a moment. And all of God's people said, you can be seated. May we be a church that says suffering alone is not an option. And following Jesus alone is not an option. Friends, Peter encourages at the very end of his letter, his encouragement and challenge to churches in Asia is to be strong. He wants you to be strong and not in your own strength and merit. We are radically and woefully weak, but you and I have someone that loves us perfectly and intimately, and he cares for us, and he shelters us and shepherds us with his mighty right hand. Be aware and consistent and watchful of how the evil one wants to come and devour and shake you loose from your foundation. Run to the upward call of God, the one that God has for you. Though you suffer now, you will be with him in glory. But don't do it alone. Do it with other brothers and sisters. Let's pursue strength today. Would you pray with me again? Father, thank you for today and thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for the testimony of the word. You tell us to stand firm in the faith. There are some parts of us, admittedly, even me, where my heart is soft and squishy in some places and is prone to not trusting and leaning upon you. You've given us so many reasons why we can trust you. Do you strengthen those parts that are in our heart today? 
Would you teach us again and again and again about your care and calling for us? Would you remind us again of how the devil craves to destroy us? When you show us the sweet joy and mercy there is in walking in companionship with other fellow brothers and sisters. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for today. Make us strong. We pray this in your name. Amen.